listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Take your Bible and open up with me to the book of 1 Peter. We are in a series called Chosen Sojourners. We're going through this letter. And as you're turning there, I think it's really, this isn't really part of the main sermon, but I think this is interesting uh, to me as I've been thinking through this. Peter really has his own writing style. He, he is different than, than a lot of the other New Testament authors. So you have the Apostle Paul, and he is like this lawyer. He, he's just giving us doctrine. He makes his point. He defends the point. He proves the point three different ways, and then he applies the point, right? And then you have Luke, who is telling these beautiful stories. He's painting a picture. He's giving you the history and the narrative of the early church of Jesus Christ. And then you have Peter, and Peter is different than everyone else. Uh, I think a lot of it goes back to his personality, and you kind of see it in the text when you're in a series like this week in, week out. But Peter, we all know in the Gospels, right, he is the, you know, put your foot in your mouth. He's the first person to open his mouth and talk. He's, he's also the guy who has to get the last word in at the same time too, right? And he talks a lot. Well, in this, in this book, we have been going through, there's really never been a, an ending point, right? It's just like one sermon flows into the next, and that sermon flows into the next point, and, and this idea that Peter's talking about then forms over here. So we haven't had any good, clean breaks for a while. We're finally getting a semi-break right now in 1 Peter chapter 3. And, uh, and we've been going over these themes. He keeps hitting three different themes again and again and again. First of all, it's living hope is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our living hope. Secondly, there is present suffering going on, and that's the whole context of this letter. It's written to a church that is facing persecution. And then the third theme is future glory. He keeps pointing to the life we have in eternity with our Savior. And last week, Peter was talking to the church about juggling your dual citizenship, right? You're a citizen of eternity, the kingdom of God. You're also a citizen down here in the earth in the life you live right now, this present life. And, and we have to juggle that. So um, it was all about submitting to your own human authorities, fitting in where you can fit in, submitting to them so that you can be more effective for the Lord's sake. And that's, that was the main, the main takeaway there. It, this, is, this is for the Lord's sake, you know, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. So we covered a lot. As in usual form with Peter, we covered submission, we covered the government, and even addressed slaves. We had a lot to unpack. And now, today, Peter is taking this element of submission, and he's bringing it home. He's bringing it right into the home. And believe it or not, what we're going to see today goes deeper than marriage. The way Peter is talking to men as well as women goes all the way down to the core of your identity of who you are as a chosen sojourner. So you can boil this entire message down to one phrase. I'm going to give it to you right up front. He's going to really get into the specifics. But it all comes back to this. Love the way Jesus loves you. Love the way Jesus loves you. 
If you get that part right, it's going to work out. You want to have a good marriage? Love the way Jesus loves you. If you want to be the kind of girl that a man wants to put a ring on that finger, love the way Jesus loves you. If you want to be a man who finds the kind of girl who can be your best friend and that you can grow old with, love the way Jesus loves you. Now, no one is really going to disagree with that, right? Even people who don't know Jesus aren't going to really have a problem with that concept. We're all made in the image of God. We have his law written into our hearts. And so we all know love is good and hate is harmful. We get that. But the heart of what Peter is saying here is to love like Jesus loves. And that's where he gets even deeper. He's going to get specific. And a lot of what he says here, I want to warn you right up front as we, as we about ready to step into this text. A lot of this, according to the world's standards, according to what you hear out there in our culture, is controversial. It, they're, they're controversial things to say about men and women. And we need to remember here that this entire letter has been about aligning your thoughts with God. It's painting the contrast between the things of the spirit, truth, and the ideology of this world. We don't think the same way the world thinks if we know God. The world has a very skewed and at times twisted view of God's creation. And it's no different even in the context of manhood and womanhood. So as we wade into this passage this morning, I want you to set aside all your different preconceived notions about gender and roles and all of that and just listen closely to what God has to say in his word. You think differently. This world is not your forever home. And you can't let the way the world views these things skew your view of the truth. So let's buckle up and let's listen to what Peter has to say here as he's led by the Holy Spirit. He's not going to be shy about this. And just follow along with me in the first seven verses of Luke 3, or excuse me, of 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a Gentile and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Told you what Peter was going to say was countercultural. And, you know, just with a quick survey of these first seven verses here, we have six verses on the women, and we have one verse on men. So, Thanks, Peter. No landmines at all for me to, uh, to cover here. Um, <laughs> and I have a rule when I, when I preach, and I've established this just a little while ago, I'm not going to say anything about a woman's appearance unless it's how beautiful my wife is. 
You know, that's, that's my rule. Uh, <laughs> but I told Julie earlier this week, this is going to be kind of hard this week. Of all the passages of Scripture, uh, this is, this is going to get interesting because you have six verses on the ladies, one verse on the men. And I mean, the ladies, you get all the specific details, right? There's all the who and the what and the how and the why, all the details. And with the men, we just get one verse attached with like a threat at the end of it. If that doesn't tell you a difference between men and women, I don't know what does. I think God really does have a sense of humor. But I know we're wading into something that is a sensitive subject. And I understand, ladies, that, you know, you have a lot of pressure on you. And, and this is a sensitive subject because, quite honestly, this, this passage has not always been taught very well. The, it can, you can easily get into the realm of not really understanding what submission is about, and you can abuse that word. So, ladies, we live in a culture that is feeding you lies. Uh, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of difficulties that you face that, that, that men don't even face. And I want you to know that this is a church that honors, values, and respects women. That's at the baseline of all of this. And so as we get into the word of God, you can't let the world's ideology skew your view of what God's word says. And, and we're going to see exactly what God has for you. Um, this is so important to actually take the word of God at face value. A lot of people... Even Christians right now, today, and this has really always been the case, but it's, you especially see it right now, they get this idea that, okay, the world is pushing an agenda, the world feels so strongly about this, and wait a minute, there's been some abuse here, there's, or there's, some of this has been twisted, it's not quite been executed correctly, so we can shy away from what the Bible says, or we can just water down what the Bible says. And you can't do that. The way we look at the Word of God as a church, and the way I preach is, is called exegesis. And I know that's a big word, but really it's a word that you need to learn. Exegesis is just simply means you draw the truth out of the word. You don't read anything into it. Eisegesis is when you have an idea, you have a concept, you want the Bible to say something. You maybe at first glance don't like the tone that it has, because, because of your own preconceived notions. So you try to craft the Bible to say what you want it to say, and you attach a Bible verse onto your idea. And a lot of people do that with Scripture, and they do that in this realm of, of manhood and womanhood as well, of, of many other things. We're not going to do that today. We're going to draw out the truth from God's Word, and we're going to let the Bible speak for itself. We're going to exegete the text. So... Why is this such a sensitive subject? Well, very briefly, let me just say, when you, a, a cursory look at the world today, modern-day feminism has been one of the most destructive elements of our society. If you look at, at how it's working for women out there, and this isn't just an opinion, the, the, there's, there's survey after survey, study after study that show Women right now are the most depressed and angry and bitter that our country has ever seen. And again, this isn't even opinion. There's just secular studies that say this over and over again. When you get past the glitz and the glamorous headlines, modern day feminism has failed. It's created discontent and stress that our women face unlike 
any other time throughout history. So is the world a better place where boss girls forsake family and, and, and go for that exhilarating climb up the corporate ladder? I would say most of the time, no. Most of the time, it does not work out for them that way. Is the world a better place also at the same time where beta males and feminized men are living like immature little boys? No, the world is not better off for that, and our country is not better off for that either. Let's not kid ourselves. So how about we get back to the truth about men and women from God's word, from our creator who created men and women? The Holy Spirit is revealing God's absolute timeless truth about men and women through Peter. And what he says is vital for our understanding of living a life of love out loud for Jesus in this present life. So there's two points today. We're going to go ladies first, and then we're going to cover the men. And you're going to have to stick with me because, you know, these are not my words, and these aren't just Peter's words either. This is an apostle of Jesus Christ teaching you what God has for you. And you have to embrace this for you to thrive in your life the way God wants you to thrive. So point one, very clearly, I'm, you know, this, this wasn't, wasn't a hard point to make up. As you can see, it came straight from the word of God. But number one, wives live in submission with inward beauty. Live in submission with inward beauty. And we spent a lot of time on submission last week in chapter two. But submission is a beautiful thing. Just because it's been twisted and abused doesn't mean we, we abandon it. It's the Greek word hupatazo, and originally, in the core of that original word, it was a military term that means to put yourself in order, to operate in the chain of command. So submission has nothing to do with who's better, who's stronger than the other, and it's not even the exact same thing as obedience either. You know, obedience is something that kids are told to do to their parents, Obedience is something we are commanded to do to God. Submission is something that you voluntarily do yourself. Inherent in the word is you willingly do this. No one is asking you to do it. If it's forced or demanded, it's not submission. It's either obedience or it's something totally different like forced, uh, forced compliance or subjugation. And here's the other big difference with, with submission and obedience it's something that happens between equals. One party voluntarily follows a set structure to live in harmony. Jesus Christ submitted to the will of the Father. Jesus the Son and God the Father are equals. Citizens, as we saw last week, submit to human authorities. They are, they are equals made in the image of God. Church members submit to their spiritual leaders. We are all one in Christ. We are equals. And wives submit to their own husbands in the home. Notice it doesn't say that a wife is supposed to submit to another man simply because he's a man. It says submit to your own husband. Now, I have talked with people who just look at this completely wrong. They take this component of submission in the home and they start treating women differently and the man is somehow superior and that is completely not what the text says. God established male headship in the home and in the church. Jesus himself brought this principle all the way back to Genesis with, with Adam. And Paul re-emphasized this point, not only in Romans, but he brings it up again in 1 Corinthians 11 
and in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. He, he, he has that, head, that, that headship of Adam. And it's connected to the home as well in those passages. So everything Peter says here is based on the understanding of the entirety of Scripture. You cannot just separate this passage and isolate this passage alone. You have to take it in the context of everything else God's Word says. Men and women are equal, but at the same time, men and women are different. And that shouldn't be a controversial statement. They are different, but equal. And our culture has pushed a lie for a long time that women can and should or, or could be able to do everything that men are able to do. And if you, if you listen very closely, it's really never the other way around. You'd, men are never told that um, you can do everything a woman can do. But we have this, this, this line of reasoning that women can do everything that men can do. And up until very recently, because logic has just tra- left the train station, and our enemy has viciously attacked gender roles, um, you've never really heard it the other way. It's just, it's just a one-way thing. But the truth is, men and women are different, and they do different things, and they do things that the others can't do, and that has nothing to do with equality. Women can do a lot of things that men can do. There are a lot of things that they can do better than men, and vice versa. There's things that men can do that that women are not able to do as well. And that, again, is the way God designed us differently with different roles and different makeup. That has nothing to do with our equality because he loves us both the same. He created us to complement one another. And the world looks at it like a competition. We have to be above that. It's not a competition. We're not in third grade anymore. Men and women are different, and we complement one another. So I was thinking about that this week, and I remember back when I was a youth pastor, all the way back when I was in Colorado, when I first started in the ministry. I had sixth grade girls in the junior high ministry that thought they were just as fast and just as strong as the boys. They believed they could do anything better than a boy. And I mean, of course, some of those things they could do better than boys. But these are little girls that they go to church every Sunday. They have Christian parents. Where do they get that idea? It's because there is a very present push in our culture from from education to, to you name it, music, Disney Channel. I don't know. It's just everywhere that says from the time you can read, you are the same. You are equal, but you are different. I remember... Um, not too long ago, President of the United States said, there's nothing that, that, uh, that a man can do that over time a woman couldn't do also. And he's saying that because he thinks over time the structures of our society have created imbalances that perpetuate stereotypes so that's all in our heads and after a few more generations we will break all the barriers and there will be no difference. That line of reasoning that the world pushes is not biblical. And here's the most important thing about this. To push something like this is actually an affront to what makes women truly amazing. Do you see that? I'm spending a lot of time on this because if you don't understand this important principle, you're going to lose the true value and honor and amazing abilities that women have. 
They're not the same as men. Men aren't the same as women. They both do different things. Men and women's vital organs differ in size and efficiency. Men have larger hearts and lungs than women. Women have larger livers, stomachs, and thyroid glands and kidneys than men. Women have lower blood pressure and faster heartbeat than men. And if you really wanted to get scientific about this, we could be here all day. But we live in a world that is trying to feminize men and is trying to make the women more masculine. And that's because our enemy is an agent of chaos and disorder. And he hates the fact that we're made in the image of God and that we're created differently, that we complement one another. And he wants to confuse all of that. So that's the world we're in. And we cannot let the world's mindset taint our view of the truth that God has for us in his created order. It's really not hard to see this either. You can just look at clothing styles. You have this androgynous clothing style, clothing style nowadays, you know, non-binary clothes. Like, it's, it's in your face. It's everywhere. That's what the world is trying to do. So with all of that said, now that we got all of that out of the way, let's look again at what Peter is saying. Verse 1, be subject to your own husbands. And, and, and the woman is told here to be subject, to submit to her husband, even if he isn't obeying the word. Even if he's not sold out for Jesus Christ. So whether you are unequally yoked, and you know, let's say right now, you, you find yourself in a marriage and, and you're saved and he's not. And, and that happens. I have, we have great friends who, who've, who are in situations like that. You know, your, your role here is to still, still submit to your husband, to live in peace and harmony. This is God's design. You follow him and you let him lead the home. You, you, you can win him over that way. That's what the text clearly says. And this is honestly the same principle we saw last week. Even when you were mistreated, and things aren't going the way they should 100% go, show respect. Put yourself in a place where you're living peaceably, and that will speak. That will, that will shout it out from the rooftops. Without a word, that will speak loudly that there's something has changed, something is different. And ladies, let me just speak as a man here. Just like you want to be shown love, men want to be shown respect. We see this same point made by Paul in other passages of Scripture, Ephesians 4.33. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So ladies, the best way to change your man is not by constantly telling him all the things he needs to do to change. It's simply by stroking his ego. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's by showing him respect, Okay. And when you do that, then you find the right moment to share what's bothering you. So when they see your respectful and pure conduct, that is inspiring. God will use that. And here's the second piece for the woman, for the women. Live modestly. Modesty is one of those things that it's either the most talked about thing or in some circles, or it's the least talked about thing in other circles. And if you're thinking, David, I don't see the word modesty in the text, you are right. But what we're seeing here described is the biblical definition of modesty. Because modesty is always, always something that goes back to your heart. So what is this saying? We really need to slow down right here because 
again, I've heard people take this passage and they, they get out of control with it. They say some really crazy things that this passage is not saying at all. Have you ever heard somebody get on that, get on that train of thinking, look, First Peter says, ladies, don't, don't braid your hair, don't wear gold jewelry. And if you're thinking that, like it's just not a godly, it's, you know, this, is, this isn't modest to do all those things, to put on makeup and all that. Well, if, you, if, you, if you're going to take that line of reasoning, you have to keep reading, right? Because if you keep going with that line of reasoning, um, you're also going to have to talk about wearing clothes <laughs> because that's what else Peter says. And we all know you have to wear clothes. So his point can't be don't do those things. The point here, the main, the main point is your physical appearance matters, but that shouldn't define you. Your physical adorning doesn't reveal completely what's in your heart. Of course, it's a reflection of the heart, but that's not the be-all, end-all. Having a beautiful physical appearance is great, but it can easily become an idol of the heart. And it, it can create rivalry, it can create tension, it can create pride if you allow it to become everything. And if you put physical adorning at the pedestal, we can't do that. Verse 4 says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, notice this point isn't just dress modestly, it's live modestly. Dressing modestly is a part of it. Immodesty is something that draws unnecessary attention to yourself. Guys can dress immodestly just like girls. When you are wearing something that is attention-seeking or loud and it doesn't fit the occasion, that's being immodest. But the main thing this passage is talking about is your adorning isn't the point. Your dress isn't the biggest part of it all. Your heart is what matters the most. Inward beauty produces outward beauty, true outward beauty. Peter is talking about how the spirit of your life, how you live your life, and your dress is certainly an aspect of that, but how you dress is a reflection of the heart. It's not the entire thing. So in God's sight, it's very precious to have inward beauty, and that's defined as a gentle and a quiet spirit. And this is really where some people get their blood boiling. What do you mean? Does that mean I can't be sassy and sarcastic? Because I'm sassy and sarcastic, and I don't like this passage. <laughs> no, 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 no. Again, what's the spirit of this passage? What's the context? What's, what's Peter's main point? Peter is saying that as women, you don't need to be in charge. You don't need to be domineering. You don't need to be the bombastic person. Of course, many of the ladies in this room, you have spirited personalities. God gave you that. And you don't need to hide that or, or think that's a bad thing. There's a time and place for everything. And what you need to take away from this passage is, you know, that living an in-your-face, take-charge, intense personality as a woman usually isn't your role. Usually that's not the way God designed you. Of course, there's going to be outliers. There's going to be time and place where you, you are going to have to step up and take charge, of course. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're talking about the general over, overall 
primary focus of your spirit. That's what Peter's talking about. And being attractive on the outside and ugly on the inside doesn't just mean you're a heartbreaker. Outer beauty plus inner ugly equals unlovely. Do you see that? Outer beauty plus inner ugly equals someone who's unlovely. Ladies, please live free with your personality. Be the life of the party if that's you. But once you understand that you don't have to take charge, you don't have to dominate, and as your heart falls more in love with your Savior and you embrace the role that God has given you, well, then you can live modestly with a gentle and a quiet spirit. And we're, we're not really even talking about your sense of humor. We're, we're just talking about you being the person that God has called you to be in your role. You can still be a leader. You can still have a, a, a beautiful, strong voice. You can still be a leader in many areas of life. But this is talking about your spirit. And your spirit is your attitude, your personality, and it's, it's the passions of your heart. It's the, the hidden seat of emotions. When that's beautiful, it's priceless. Having a gentle and a quiet spirit, that's true modesty. So to summarize everything that Peter is saying here, the world views beauty as something outward. And that's where it ends. If you don't have the looks, you don't have it, right? And so, so there's all this pressure. I have to look a certain way. I have to buy thousands of dollars worth of makeup equipment and, and beauty supplies over the years so I can stay looking as young as I possibly can. No. This, the truth of this passage is so freeing. The physical is going to change. No one stays forever 21. Ladies, please just embrace the beauty and the dignity that comes with age. Don't believe the lies that say you have to look like your daughter. No, age with grace and true beauty is inner beauty. That's precious, and it comes from the heart. So here's the question for you. What are you doing to take care of your spiritual beauty? I know we all spend time looking in the mirror, combing our hair, brushing our teeth, right? We, we need to do that before we go out in public. You gotta, even if you don't care that much, you're doing something to make yourself not not look like you looked when you were sleeping, right? <laughs> we, all, we all have to do something. We don't go out in public unkept. But what about your soul? What about your spiritual relationship with Jesus? Do you have that quiet time with Jesus every day? And I mean, it, it's great if it's in the morning, but if it's not in the morning, it needs to be at another time. A lot of us here love working out. You know, you work out, it clears your mind, you hate it, but you love it. It makes you feel better later on. But no one just goes to the gym one time. It's like, all right, I did it. Yay. I'm good now. I can eat whatever I want to eat the rest of the year. No. You have to daily get into a routine. You have to have a healthy lifestyle, right? Feeding on the word of God, getting close to Jesus, walking with him, talking with him, listening to him meditating on the word, memorizing the word, these are spiritual disciplines that are the exact same as self-care. They're really spiritual self-care. 
And the thing is, sometimes you can read the Bible and, and it doesn't really seem to do much in that moment. You got a lot going on in life. And wow, I did that, but I don't really know if I got much out of it. I don't quite understand what I read. I want you to hear, this is so important. What matters is not you getting an amazing kernel of truth or it's just some awesome nugget that's gonna carry you and inspire you through the day. That's not the goal when you go to the word every morning. When you go to the word, you are feeding yourself with truth to combat all the error that you see out in the world. And just like the person who goes to the gym day in, day out over time, they didn't just go once or twice and then look in the mirror like, oh, wow, I look good. No, no, they were consistent with it. And so, so sometimes you have to get in the word and you just have to stay faithful. I heard Eugene Peterson say once, faithfulness is a long walk of obedience in the same direction. You just keep showing up. You keep showing up again and again and again, even on the down days, even when you don't feel like it. And eventually you will wake up one day and you realize, whoa, I'm stronger than I ever imagined I was, I could ever be. I know the word of God now to the point that I can see through the lies of this world because you consistently put in the effort of talking with God and walking with God. And to wrap up this first point, Peter puts the icing on the cake with an Old Testament example. This is how Sarah was. And I just want to observe here that there is nothing wrong with the past. Peter is pointing them back to the past. These principles do not change. Adorning yourself with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, that is priceless and that never goes out of style. Never does. So just because women are, are, are free and able to get more jobs and you have more beauty products at your fingertips than ever before, don't forget what really matters. Living for Jesus. Loving like Jesus loves you. And of course, dressing modestly fits into this entire concept of living a life of humility and meekness and strength under control. So the ladies just got a lot of elaborate details. You liked all those details, ladies? It was a lot. Um, we've seen priceless beauty. Now let's look at the man. And we're going to see how a man can be truly attractive. And I also want to point out here, men... If you get this right, a woman who has the right heart is going to love, love, love following your lead. Right here, what we're about to see is truly what women want. And I know there's a lot of women who don't know what they want. They're confused. They're in the world. And, and they've, they've believed a catalog of lies. And they don't even know what they really desire. But this, what we have here from God's word, is, way, is the way they really are going to find satisfaction. It's not in a physically attractive man. It's something different. This is a truly attractive man. Look at verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Point two is, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And I love that Peter starts this out with the word likewise. In the same way, men, at the end of the day, you both 
love like Jesus loves you. And we've already talked about the differences between men and women. Men have a different role in a marriage relationship. But both of these points in this verse are parallel to what we've already seen with the ladies. What did we, what did we see about women? Show respect and live modestly, right? What do you see here for the men? Show honor and live humbly. These totally go hand in hand. I hope you can see they're not exactly the same, but they complement each other. To live in an understanding way means that you have the ultimate task, men. How many, how many of the men in this room like a challenge, like a good challenge? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Almost every man, right? Well, you know, we all like challenges. Pick something you like, and if you think about it, part of the reason you like it as a man is because it's challenging. Golf, it's one of the most challenging sports. You know, we love the outdoors, getting out in creation. The competition is great. But you know why, why men really like golf ladies? It's not because they have to wear the hats and the polos and the shoes. The reason why they really like golf is because it's such a hard sport to master. And you can be great at it one day, and you can come out the next week, and you can have a total bad habit that just came out of nowhere, and your, and your shot's going off to the right every time. It's a very difficult game. It's challenging. And, I mean, we, we like sports for that reason. Of course, there's nostalgia, you know, winning and beating someone. But what really makes it click with the guy is when you have to figure something out and master something that is an enigma. Golf is like that. Uh, ever since my boys have gotten into soccer, that's been that's the way it is for me right now. It's like a new sport that I never really learned. And now I'm, you know, in my late 30s and I'm learning a new sport. It's fun, it's challenging. Men like in they like discovering new things. We like investing and discovering what other people don't know. You know, we we love to master something and to figure it out. Right? Well, here you go. Here's the ultimate enigma, the ultimate challenge. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Do you see that? Am I, am I the only one who sees that? We want to figure it out. We want to crack the code. We want to solve problems. There's something deep within us that just eats that up. And this is what you are called to do with the woman of your life. Study her. Recognize the themes of her life. What's her personality? How does she communicate? You need to study your wife like your pastor studies the book of 1 Peter, okay? Get in the nitty-gritty. Start talking about his personality, all these things that you don't even care about with his personality compared to Paul and Luke's personality. Get to know what makes her click. What's the writing style like? Break down all the components. What motivates her? What has shaped her? What's her background like? What are her fears, her strengths, her weaknesses? And let me tell you, I've been married for 10 years, and I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm still learning. I still failed at it this week. I, I didn't do everything correctly, even when I was studying this passage. Thankfully, this passage came right to mind, and I was able to correct rather quickly. But it's not easy. We are, no one is perfect. We're going to fail at this. That's why you get back and you workshop it some more. This is a challenge. And men, when you embrace this challenge and when you live with your wife in an understanding way and you take that calling seriously, this will make her crazy about you. Right here. 
If you think NFTs and cryptocurrency and the multiverse of Marvel is complicated, just try living with a woman in an understanding way. Men, we're simple creatures, right? We're different. We need bed and breakfast. We need a reason to live that's bigger than ourselves. We need to be a place to get alone, unwind, and an outlet to, to compete and flex our muscles. We have that. We're good. Most women know that. But men, you are married, and you have some work to do. There's a lot of things you need to learn and invest in. Figure out her love language. Figure out what makes her tick. And when you do that and you listen to her, you listen to what she said one random Tuesday night in October, and you get her that gift on Christmas, well, guys, when you study her like that, it's going to work out great for you. <laughs> Humble yourself and start doing everything you can to honor her. Does this sound controversial? The world, the world reads a passage like this, and, and Christians have been influenced by this, and we think, oh, I can't lead, I can't, I can't do all this stuff. Like, no, this is God's plan. This is amazing. When men and women both work in harmony like this and complement each other like this, it is a beautiful thing, and the marriage is truly a lighthouse in this dark world where people look and say, whoa, there is something new and something different about that relationship. I don't have that, and I want that. And then, I mean, let's get blunt, guys, because that's what we do, right? If you're not doing these things, your prayers won't be answered. You're not right with God. That's what Peter is saying. They are heirs with you. They are equal. You were commanded to love your wife as Christ loves you. When that takes place, the marriage is blossoming. And you probably have heard the triangle illustration before. I'm going to put it up here. Men and women, I mean, of course, this is... This is premarital counseling stuff right here, but, but you can't just leave it there. You always have to go back to this. When a husband and wife, the closer they get to God, as they, as they mature and walk with God and the closer they get to God together, the closer they get. And you get up to the top of that triangle and you're closer to God than you've ever been. You're, in your marriage, you're closer than you've ever been. And I just want to end by saying, yes, this passage is clearly talking about marriage, but I want everyone in the room, young and old, single and married, to see something very important. This passage is about your identity. You're a chosen sojourner. And even if you're not married yet, or even if you never get married, even if you were married once and you don't see anything changing and you're probably not going to get married again, this is the truth you need to remember. You're not half a person when you are single. You're not. And that's because Jesus completes you. You have to remember that. You don't have to be married to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. You don't have to be married to shine your light in this dark world. If you are a chosen sojourner, you are full in Christ right now. Married men, married women, they, they don't complete each other. They complement each other. There's a difference between completing someone and complementing someone. And only Jesus can complete you. If you think your spouse is going to complete you, well, guess what? You've put a burden and a load on them that they cannot bear. And they will fail and they will discourage you because they will disappoint you. Jesus completes you. A spouse complements you. 
and you are a full person in Christ, a chosen sojourner, whether you're married or not. Don't make the mistake of putting that weight on each other. Life is hard. You have two sinners living under the same roof, living in close proximity at all times. Some people would say you've just described a cage match, David. Like that, that's true, right? It's not easy. But remember, Jesus has to be at the center. Jesus completes. So compliment each other because you can't complete each other. Let's go ahead and stand up right now. We're going to close with singing. I don't have the ability to complete Julie. You don't have the ability to complete your spouse. But when you show them the love of Jesus Christ and you love them the best you can, the same way Jesus loved you, things are going to change. So as we sing a song here, I, I want to have an invitation this morning to just invite you to take this to God. Maybe you've believed a lie. Maybe you've been confused about something like that. Maybe you haven't done your part in your marriage to love the way you were called to love. So the invitation is for you to come on up here, pray about that. Maybe you need to pray for your spouse, pray with your spouse. Maybe, you need, maybe you're not married and you just need to come up and pray. I don't know what it is, but I don't know what the Lord has laid on your heart and spoken to you about this morning, but my invitation is that you take this calling seriously. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Show honor, show respect. Submission is a beautiful thing because it's God's thing and it works. any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.